Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Before we get started with our episode, we wanted to remind you of a few ways that you can support and connect with the podcast. If you haven't already, don't forget to rate and review this podcast wherever you are listening. You don't even need to leave a review. You can just go in and give us a five-star review. It really helps us continue the podcast growth and is greatly appreciated. Also, don't forget to connect with us on social media, Instagram and Facebook at Conversations on Dance and Twitter at Convo on Dance. Sign up for our email list to receive an email notification each time we release a new episode. Click the link in the description of this episode to sign up now. Now, let's get into COD. I'm Rebecca King-Ferraro. And I'm Michael Sean Breeden, and you're listening to Conversations on Dance. Today, we hear about the Ragamala Dance Company. We are joined by the company's founder and co-artistic director, Rani Ramaswamy, and her two daughters, co-artistic director Aparna Ramaswamy and choreographic associate Ashwini Ramaswamy. This mother-daughter-run company was founded in 1992 and is rooted in the South Indian dance form of Bharatanatyam. Through multidisciplinary dance works for the stage, engaging the community, and educating the next generation, Ragamala epitomizes intercultural and immigrant narratives that evoke a shared sense of humanity. They train the next generation of dancers through the Ragamala Training Center, we talk with this trio about their origins in dance, the style of Bharatanatyam, the founding of their company, their choreography, and what they have coming up in the next few months. The company will be performing Fires of Varanasi at the Saraya in Los Angeles on April 9, 2022. The premiere of Ashwini Ramaswamy's Let the Crows Come is April 13, 2022 at the Barishnikov Arts Center in New York City. Links to ticket information for both performances are in the description of this episode. All right. Thank you all so much for joining us this morning. We're so excited to speak with you. We've been watching you guys for a while now from afar. So we're really excited to hear more about the work that you're doing. You know, for us as former ballet dancers, we're so versed in the ballet sphere. And what we love about this podcast is getting to learn about other dance styles and hearing about other dance styles. So we're just so excited to talk with you guys and hear more about your work. So thank you. So we usually start with the question just about how um, each uh, guest who comes on um, first became interested in dance. So we'd love to touch upon that with each of you. Why don't we start with Rani? Sure. So I grew up in India and uh, Bharatanatyam, the dance style that we perform here, was the, perform- the art form that was available in the Southeast region of India. So right. because in India we have several classical styles, about five to six, which is believed to have come from one main form. But because Mm -hmm. of the diversity of the country, it became the various styles. So since I grew up in the Southeast, Bharatanatyam was the dance form of that region. And, you know, unlike now, there weren't any shopping mall dance schools. You know, very rarely did there were master teachers 
And then there were a few teachers who were not as qualified, but they served the purpose. So I watched my cousin dancing with a teacher and I just fell in love with the art form for some reason. I was too young. I was seven. I don't know what interested me, (laughs) but the entire, the movement, the music, the complexity of rhythms and the gestures. So I asked my parents if I could have class. It took a while to find a teacher who would come home and teach. Um, You know, it's a different situation in those days. You couldn't just go off, take a bus and go someplace and learn. Mm -hmm, So that's how I, my entry point into dance was that. So how did you find a teacher? And then what was your, what was that training? What did that training look like if you weren't going to just a school and taking classes? Um, It's interesting because there was, my parents were very old fashioned. They wouldn't let a young girl go off anywhere by herself. I was seven. My brother, who was five, was my chaperone. And in his school, there was a teacher who was going to start a a little dance class. So when we heard that, um, that's where they put me. And I was the one person who would learn like 20 steps when everybody was stuck in two. And then Mm -hmm. after a year, that school got disbanded and then they... Um, my parents asked her if she would come home and teach because I was so interested and it was mutual. She thought I was worth it. So in our living room twice a week, we had a dance class. You know, I wouldn't, I'm not proud of that education, but it actually at least uh, gave me that entry point into this art form. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, About how long were you doing these uh, sort of private lessons? Until I was 16, I did it. And then um, like everybody else in those days, uh, dance wasn't for a profession. It was just to make, you know, learn an art form because everybody learns a classical music, dance, so that it enriches your life. And right. stopped, got married, uh, got married early, and that was the end of it. Was what we all thought. Right. 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 <laughs> little did you know. <laughs> yes. Did I know? <laughs> right. So, uh, at what point did you um, make the move to America, and what was um, Bharatanatyam? What was the the culture with that dance form like when you came here? Um, we moved here in 1978. I was 26 years old, mm-hmm. and I had not danced for a long time. But when I came to Minneapolis. Um, there were the Indian community was about 100 people mm-hmm. and they had, you know, talking to them that sharing with them the information that I had studied dance and I loved it. So they said, why don't you perform for the Diwali function here? Mm-hmm. So 99% of people would have not taken that opportunity, but I did. I bought a $25 tape recorder. Someone gave me two tapes, cassette tapes of dance music and I recreated what from what I remembered and danced and found that I still had the love and those who watched it really liked it so they wanted me to teach it that's how I you know I thought well I don't know anything enough to teach these kids Uh so I went back to India to study and that's how it, it all started so that at that time there weren't anyone in Minneapolis, who was teaching Minnesota, who was right. doing better than I did. So then let's bring your daughters in on this and find out how they got involved then. Um, let's start with you, Aparna, and tell us a little bit about then how you first started. And, and maybe I'm sure both your stories intertwine a little. <laughs> sure. And my story is a little different um, at parts from Ronnie's and sometimes similar. So um, obviously, I immigrated with Ronnie. I was three years old when we moved to the United States. Mm-hmm. And I remember her starting classes in the community here for young Indian girls. Mm -hmm. And I took, I attended these classes and I absolutely loved dance. I mean, the passion that Ronnie felt when she was young, even though I was living here in in the United States, I had this inexplicable connection Mm -hmm. and I absolutely loved it. So I attended every class. I was I knew all of the material and the way that my mom tells it and my grandmother is because I wasn't a paying student. My mother never paid attention to me. 
<laughs> and so my grandmother told her one day that she should look at me because I actually know everything that all these kids are doing and I'm actually doing a fairly good job. And so, um, so, you know, she started to notice. And even at that time, we, we kind of became a team. So when we would perform in the Indian community, we would perform together. And so there would be mother and daughter in costume mm. dancing together. And we have all sorts of incriminating videos and photographs of these times. <laughs> and when um, I was young, so eight or nine years old, our current teacher, who is uh, the great Alarmel Valley, who lives in Madras, India, she came, she was invited to the University of Minnesota to do a two-week residency. So, and she had come here before also, but during this two-week time, she was doing performances, lecture demonstrations, master classes. Wow. And uh, Ronnie joined the master class and uh, she decided to take me along. And I was the only child in this class. And um, what we what what my teacher found is that I was absorbing material very quickly. Mm -hmm. And she seemed to be um, very impressed with the way I was absorbing material and I my focus and dedication. I mean, it was I don't think I ever considered myself a young child. I considered myself extremely lucky to be there and just totally passionate about what was happening. Mm -hmm. And the when we saw our teacher perform, um, we had seen her in India from, you know, as Ronnie describes it, something like, you know, 40 rows back. And then in Minneapolis in the first row, mm -hmm. she changed our, our, our lives. You know, oh, it's wow. it's watching uh, poetry come alive, truth come alive. I mean, it's just incredible. You know, when you see somebody like that, like a star, it's like it's like you it's like watching the sun. And oh. so, at that moment, uh, what happened during that workshop is her mother told my mother that if she brought me to India, that our teacher Alamel Valley would teach me. And wow. that is a, such a defining moment in in our lives. And at that time. Um, Ronnie, you want to jump in? Yeah. And can you also teach me, please? Can I also start with you? And she said, why do you want to, you've already been dancing and teaching. If you come to me, you have to start from the beginning. And she was four years, she is four years younger than me. Oh, wow. wow. And I said, I said, I will, everything I know now, I know is worthless. I will start from the beginning. And so cool. I joined Aparna's class. That's wow. amazing. So at 32 and nine, we became <laughs> partners. We traveled, I think within nine months, we were in back in India and we spent four months in India every single year um, after that to study with her. We studied intensively um, eight hours a day with her. And uh, during that time, she so she had she said to us that she was thinking of presenting her first student in performance in India. And if I was up to the task, she would present me as her first student. And that really it carries a lot of meaning because I was a person from the United States. And here was this incredible uh, dancer choreographer who was willing to put in the work and the effort to present me as her first student and she would always say don't dance like you're an American <laughs> you know dance like you're from here uh -huh. and um, and and so from an early age for me her mother and her my mother we would all we were aligned in saying if we are going to pursue this path I was going to become a professional mm -hmm. So Aparna was um were trips to India something that you regularly did before these um lessons had you, had you been before So oh, we oh, we were born okay, there but yeah. but since since you'd come to the states yeah Yes so then we went back um so we moved when I was three. We went back when I was five for Ronnie to start taking lessons. Mm -hmm. Then we we went back a couple of years later and then after that you know back then even now it's not easy pay for plane tickets to go no. to India. It's no. not easy to move your family. You know, we, my father stayed here. He was working. Mm -hmm. He stayed here for right. four months. My mother would make Indian food and put them in single serving Ziploc bags for four months. Oh, wow. my goodness. 
And we would, she would come to the school, she would talk to our teachers and principals, and we would get books because we would go during the school year because that would sure. be during um, the Indian uh, Music and Dance Festival. Mm-hmm. So we would see all of the leading dancers and our teacher perform. And that was an important time, important experience for us to have. Mm-hmm. So right. we would we would have a tutor in the morning and then we would be in dance class the rest of the day. So that, you know, I mean, you can see that my, my mother has a lot of drive and she is fearless. And that carried over into, into these stories and these experiences that we had as, as young people. Ashwini, I just want to bring you in and hear where you fit into all of this puzzle and when you started dance as well. Of course. Um, thank you for asking. I, during all of this time, I'm six years younger than Aparna. Okay. So all of this is happening when I'm three. Okay. And it's a, you know, it's a very young age to absorb these, all of these relationships, this complexities right. of dance form and this, you know, very um, dedicated, very, you know, they were so involved and Mm -hmm. I was three. And so for me, it just kind of felt like there's this thing that is taking the attention of my mother and sister and what is happening, you know, kind of thing. But I was born into these, this music, this um, going to India. I have very strong memories of of traveling uh, to India every year. And my mother had to take, you know, these two children with her on the journey So I also started um, when I was six, but I had a couple of interesting things going on at the same time. One was a very, I think, normal, um, normal childhood desire to, to not do what my mother and sister were doing. A little rebellious. Well, I'm not exactly, I'm, (laughs) is this something I'm choosing to do or am I just being forced to do something? So I always kind of had this underlying, is this for me or not? And then there's also the sense of, well, everyone around me, I was born in Minneapolis. Mm -hmm. Everyone around me is, they don't have any idea what I'm doing. I look different than everybody. I am eating different food. I'm going to this different country, you know, kind of getting teased by people. And Mm -hmm. so I don't want to be different. I want to do what other people are doing. So I would, I took ballet unsuccessfully. (laughs) I took tap. I took gymnastics. I took ice skating. I took piano, flute everything that all the people around me were doing because I'm American and Mm -hmm. I want to be like my American friends. Mm -hmm. So there was this dichotomy going on where there was this rich, fertile, amazing art going on in my house and I was absorbing it, but I didn't know if it was what I wanted because I had these conflicting issues. Um, So I always danced. I always was around throughout middle school, high school. I didn't dance in all Ragamala productions through college. And you studied from Amma. Through Ronnie. I did mm-hmm. I did a, a year with Elamel Valin in India when I was six and it was too intense for me. Um, <laughs> it was eight hours you, you a day. Know, Sounds like yes, a lot. <laughs> yes, and outside in very hot weather. Mm-hmm. Um so so I was always I always had my my foot in the door. But right. then in order to really see what what I wanted to do with my life after college, I moved to New York City and I worked in publishing um, oh, as a publicist for four years. And I would, you know, we talk every day, my mom and sister and I are very close and they, you know, the company was really starting to take off more and more, um, with national engagements. And I realized I really missed performing and being with them. And that if I was going to pursue dance, this was the time I was in my twenties. Right. Yeah. So I moved back and I was able to take the skills I learned as a publicist in, um, New York to become the communications director at Ragamala. And I started nice. retraining again, um, really recommitting. I started learning from Alar Mel in 2011. So now I'm also her student and continuing to learn from Rani and Aparna. And everything was reignited, not reignited, I guess, ignited for the first time. I feel mm-hmm. so at home, so in mm-hmm. love, so, you know, this was what I was meant to do, but it was just a circuitous path for me. Right. And how how amazing that you accrued this new skill that is so vital to arts organizations. You know, it's so it's very easy that of course the art takes precedence, but then you've got to have like the the functional aspects of things too. So you were able to come in with this, um, you know, this side of things that a lot of arts organizations lack. Yes, and I, I also just wanted to make sure to mention that the work that we do now, I feel so strongly that 
people who are young girls or Indian don't have that experience that I had where they feel isolated and that no one else understands what they're doing and that we, we, we create this world for them that they want to be a part of because mm-hmm. without Ronnie and Aparna being able to drive through that, I wouldn't be here. Yeah. Right. Since, since we're kind of on that topic, let's touch on that a little, and then we'll go back and talk about the founding of the company, but let's talk about some of the training that you guys are doing now, since uh, you just brought that up. Tell us a little bit about um, the programs that you guys have and why this is particularly very important to you and, and kind of touches home for you. Ronnie, sure. how about you? Oh, oh. Aparna, that's great. No, no, no. I just, I was just going <laughs> to yeah, give go somebody the baton. Yeah. <laughs> go ahead, Aparna. <laughs> so, we, um, so as you know, we, as Ashwini said, we are touring very actively and very consistently. We have a new program, Fires of Varanasi, Dance of the Eternal Pilgrim, which is a large scale evening length work, uh, which we premiered this last fall at the Kennedy Center. And we've been fortunate to tour it live to many venues. Um, and we hope that it has a long life. And we are, of course, creating new programs as well. And we um, have a small school that we run, uh, this uh, training, Ragamala Training Center, which we run for very serious students in dance of all levels, um, from age seven to adult. And we also do a lot of work in the community. We work, um, much of our touring is at universities and colleges. Uh, Some of the large theaters are on college campuses, but we do a lot of lecturing in different departments, not just in dance, women's studies, in history, in business, business administration. There are a lot of areas um, in which we can find these intersections. And we do a lot of work at senior centers, libraries. We bring in other entry points such as food, you know, for this new piece, which is about life and death and the afterlife. We do a program about memorial foods and a lecture and demonstration. We do um, uh, talks on and demonstrations on visual art. There are basically our, our goal is to provide wide access to audiences. For the over 40 years, we have found that our audiences are not just Indian, and we're very fortunate to have the curiosity of, of, of our whole community. And so we are sharing our immigrant experience, our cultural experience, but at the same time, we wanna make sure that people find a resonance in their own lives and see the shared humanity that we're bringing through this culturally rooted dance form. And so it's not just about the dance at all, it's about these much deeper experiences and our engagement with each other. And so these are all of the different ways in which we find to do that. Right. It is, um, you know, in, in India, dance never was separate. Dance was born in the temples, and there are sculptures, and there is ritual, and there is music. All, so it's a multidimensional art. There is myth, there is philosophy, there is so much storytelling, culture. So you can't separate. So if you present dance, if you only present dance, you're only sharing one aspect of it. So we give, and if you do this in India, you can do a solo for two and a half hours. People are happy because the individual holds all of it. Right. Right. Whereas in America, you have to separate them and explain what is this one body that is doing everything. Mm-hmm. And then we bring in the to see the dance itself. Right. Sure. So so Ronnie, you've already brought up how there was there wasn't um classical Indian dance in Minneapolis when you when you showed up. And then I'm wondering, before Ragamala was created, what was the larger picture like in the States, both for classical Indian dance at large and then also um, for Bharatanatyam? Like, what, where, what, what were things looking like uh, throughout the States? So it's interesting. When I first came, I was mainly within the Indian community. I had no idea of what was going on in the United States. Mm -hmm. The one thing that I know, everything that I learned about what went on before was from the in American dance community. So Mm -hmm. I learned about how um, Indian dance was seen by the West in Europe and, and how they borrowed those and made up 
um, the Orientalism, and all mm-hmm. of that was something that I learned from coming here. So mm-hmm. it hadn't. So I think there were dancers in New York City in California, because during my age, many dancers, younger people, got married and came to different cities, and they set up their dance schools. Sure, but. You know, it was a time when there was only phones. There was no cell phone, no email, no computers. So you were not really in touch with anything that was going on in other places. Mm-hmm. So I knew that the dance people, the, the, the American dance people, had a knowledge of a little bit about what the, uh, Orientalism is. But nobody had really, and I, when I say, Nobody, I'm only talking about Minnesota. Right. <laughs> hadn't seen Bharatanatyam before. Sure. But we do know, as I said, in the bigger cities like California, Chicago and D.C., <clears throat> New York, there were uh, Indian classical dancers who, was, who were starting to teach. But really not, I think nobody, re- people stayed within their communities and they right. taught their communities they performed for their communities so that was the situation for several years and coming you know when we met alar melvali and started to study with her the art form took on such a different meaning it was so large it was equal to any art form that was happening in the united states so the idea that this can't stay within the community this has to be out to everybody must mm-hmm. see this art form. So that's how Aparna and I started to think bigger. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, I would say that we were, I would say we were the first people who went in that direction. Right. I, I find that interesting when you're talking about touring, because of course you also earlier mentioned when your teacher came and you saw her perform, what a big moment that was for you. And so I love to hear then how much you guys are touring and then being able to spread this far and wide and share it with so many people. Cause you know, the importance of, of that and go reaching out into other communities. So tell us um, actually about the founding then of Ragamala and how it came about and became a formal entity. I'll start with that. Sure. And then I will let Aparna take yeah, from perfect. <laughs> the um so in 1992 is when Ragamala I formed Ragamala formally. Okay. And the idea that I, I think the the first the one was the knowledge we have from Alar Melvali's teaching that style. And the other was I had just done a collaboration with Robert Bly, uh, a Minnesota poet. And it was about Mirabai, uh, a saint poet. And he had written a book, a book, uh, a collection of poetry about her. And I found it extremely, um, you know, compelling to create dance for that. And Aparna and I performed while he read. And that changed the direction of where we were going because it was presented by the Minnesota Dance Alliance and downtown Minneapolis. And everybody who were interested in dance and poetry and literature came to see that. That, it was amazing to see how people reacted to that connection, that collaboration of this American poet reading poetry with Indian music and, and the dance we were doing. And even then, we had a singer who sang the traditional song in Hindi. So we did we danced to that, then danced with Robert Bly's interpretation. Wow. So right. it, wasn't, it didn't feel right to not have that Indian music because without that, it becomes something else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that made this whole idea that, you know what, we need to make work that is accessible. Right. So right. with that in mind, we, I formed uh, Ragamala Dance Company and made it a, a nonprofit organization. And then from then on, I think I would love Aparna to talk about it. So 
Um, I would love to talk about it from in two ways. So artistically, Ronnie was, I mean, I was a teenager, right? I was with her. I was by her side. I was dancing with her. I was probably giving her opinions she didn't need. But I, and then, and then I went to college and um, I, my degrees in political science, but I was dancing at the same time coming back and forth. Um, but artistically, Ronnie was on this, this journey of experimentation where she was really, really keyed in on this idea of collaboration and working with different art forms and, and, and showing audiences what, what these are, how these art forms could be in conversation with one another. And so that was very interesting to her. Um, and so she created many productions um, in, in this way. And then as I began to become more, um, after I graduated from college, I actually moved to San Francisco. I worked at a law firm and then I came back to Minneapolis. And, uh, when we started creating work to, and I created work as well. And then as we were creating work together, I was very, very excited about work that was evening length. That was original, original music, original concept. But what if we, instead of going um, to other cultures, what if we really mind our own? So if we mind the, the literary traditions and the musical traditions, the visual art traditions, what if we just kept going deeper to find the current relevance and resonance? And so we started talking a lot about that. And it does sometimes mean that we're going to work with a jazz composer and also an Indian um ensemble to create a new score together but mm -hmm. thematically this is the evolution that we've experienced over the last 30 years right. now now if we go back to when Ronnie first started creating and before she started Ragamala and she started doing all of this work one of the things that she did to bring it to the mainstream community is to meet with funders and presenters and and to ask questions about how to share the work Mm -hmm. How to get the work funded? How to create? How do you create a five hundred one c three? What does a board mean? I mean, all of those things, right? Ronnie did not go to college here. Neither of us studied arts administration here. How do we make this happen? Mm -hmm. And so she really went with this very curious um, uh, self, and and really started making these relationships and friendships and getting all of this information. And so then when I joined her. We, um, I worked, I took whatever skills I had in, you know, writing and research and whatever. And I worked in publicity and art gallery for a while and, and we started working together. And then in 2000, we had, um, we had had our first managing director who actually, um, left our company in a little bit of a very dicey state. And so at that point we had a couple of dancers on salary and what we all did because we had to, was we each took one part of the administrative side. And from that time on, and this is where, you know, Shwini skills really helped us too. We have run the company with da paying dancers full-time year round, and they have developed their skills in grant writing, development, publicity, reaching wow. out, working with an agent, reaching out to presenters, reaching out to curators, running engagement, running a training center. And so we website, do it email, all, social website, media, emails, social media. Oh and so God. we do it all. And we now have dancers who are totally trained to run an organization from the administrative side when they choose to stop dancing. And they know every part of every project from the first idea on. They can write about it. They can talk about it. They can go out and teach about it. And so this is a, a, a huge value for us that grew out of the necessity. But... Right this is how it has worked out very well for us. So if I may say something, yes. throughout these years, you know, when I was doing my experimental choreography and trying to figure out how to start a company, Aparna from the age, at 12, she had her first solo in India from with her teacher. Like two, two hours, then, those, are, those are two hours solos. Yeah, every year it's like running a marathon. She wow. has been going to India, performing solos in two or three venues during the music season. So she was establishing herself as a soloist while I was trying to make a company. So it's, you know, you learn every, 
you you develop each artist as an individual. And here she was um, working on this at the same time, you know, connecting with me to form this company. Mm-hmm. So it's it made this whole. It's not like okay, we just joined together with a few dancers and put a company together. It right. was really built from the ground up. Mm-hmm. Right. I think it's it's so fascinating that that um, is such a big component of the organization. But I want to get back into a little bit more like um, our, each one of your individual artistic voices and inclinations, like all three of your creating works. Um, but like Ashwini, I'm, I'm curious... Um, like, like you said, you have a different background. You had, you had this, your, your, um, your experience growing up, you felt very, um, you know, more like an American, obviously you were born here. And how does that, how does that change what the product you put out, um, for the company is like, well, how, how do you think you differ? One thing that I'm so grateful for is that that background, that those, all those different influences, rather than when I was younger thinking that they were kind of a liability. Now they're absolutely such a strength. Mm-hmm. I've right. been able to, I, 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 I went to the same college. I do everything she does six years later. <laughs> I think. Um, where, where she was a political science major. I was an English literature major. So I'm really interested in really interested in literary traditions um, across cultures, but I also have absorbed so much of the way, the nuances and the ways that Aparna and Rani create. And they had so many years of, to figure out their methods and what, what works for them. And so that's kind of what I'm doing now. I'm in this stage where I have, I, came, I moved back to Minneapolis and I spent 10 years just working on my dance, like no choreography, just I need to be the best dancer I can be technically right. and mm-hmm. emotionally and all that. And then I started getting curious about what I might make if I did a show. Um, It ends up being kind of this journey of the the different facets of oneself. Because I, in a single day, I feel like five different people. Because (laughs) I go to the grocery store and I'm this American person. And I go to class and I'm Indian. And I go to rehearsal and I'm this, you know, different facet. So my work is meant to bring those shades into the audience, um, but without any dilution of Bharatanatyam. Like mm-hmm. in my work, you will see classical Bharatanatyam in its state it, with classical Carnatic music as well. But then there'll be different um, sections that will show the different facets. So for example, the piece that I'm, um, my New York premiere will be in April at the Bershikov Art Center called Let the Crows Come. And it has, um, it's inspiration comes from a Hindu ritual where when someone passes away, there is a period of mourning. And one of the rituals is to offer rice to the crows. And when the crows come and accept the rice, it is uh, a sign that your ancestor or your person who has passed away is, is sending the crows a messenger to show you that it, everything's okay. I have ascended. I've gone to where I'm supposed to go. So right. it's this idea of ancestry living within us and the past, present, and future colliding at all times. And so the piece is, it starts with a classical solo and it's all original music um, with Carnatic music that I, that I present. And it has a, 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 an arc about with poetry taken from India um, with different facets of crow imagery. And then I have worked with two other dancers, one who is a Gaga uh, dancer and one who is a contemporary modern performer who also is from Trinidad um, originally. So she has African diasporic influence as well. And we work to repurpose my solo on their bodies. So there is no other Bharatanatyam. They are not doing Bharatanatyam, but they are taking all the same literary influences, all the same ideas. And I have worked with them very closely step-by-step to reconfigure them. So you'll see Mm -hmm. what the influences are, but through different bodies. And people have responded very well in that they started thinking about Bharatanatyam in different ways because it's pulling out different themes that you might not otherwise see if you've only seen the Bharatanatyam solo. So it's Mm -hmm. kind of a a way to to see what it's like to experience the world as a multicultural person is how I 
That's how I so I, I couldn't think of a more perfect way like that just like exactly what you're talking about when you're talking about the different facets of you from your upbringing like that's what I feel like we're gonna see on stage that yeah. sounds so beautiful what what kind of changes did you make in terms of like you're you're mentioning you're kind of changing maybe was there changes in style did you change the technique or were you trying to get them to do these classical moves but with their own influence can you tell us a little bit about that sure it started out with um, this idea of, well, a lot of these other forms, they don't mind expression as much as Bharatanatyam does. So I wanted to see what, what it would be like if I told them the poetry and what they should be thinking and having more of a deeper connection to the material um, emotionally. Also, we did exercises where with my solo, I would show them the gestural aspect. And then Alana, for example, who's the um, modern dancer, she's got this beautiful She's an incredible dancer. So we said, let's see what would happen if you made your whole body look like the gesture. Uh Um, And then she's also very expressive. So she was able to really tap into that. And then for Gaga, as the conversations I was having with Barrett Algren, the performer, one of the exercises they do, and this was something I was already telling her to do, which is to take the Bharatanatyam solo. I made it for her in slow motion in reverse. And like, what would it look like if you mimicked the reverse of it? And they do that in Gaga. They, they do reverse and things, everything with the left side that you're used to doing with your right side so right. that you can expand your pathways. And so that's kind of how it started, just taking these kind of surface elements of Bharatanatyam at first and then mining deeper and deeper until their solos really, to me, reflected the potential of something, uh, of a unique vocabulary that we can invoke through other bodies using Bharatanatyam as a starting point. Mm. And if um, any of our listeners want to catch that performance at the Brishnikov Art Center, tell us again the dates and where people can get tickets. Yes, that's April 13th, 14th, and 15th, uh, 8 p.m. And I think it's BAC.org. Great. I'll be in town. So you might see my face. We can meet you. (laughs) My mom and sister will be there Wednesday night. We'll be there on Wednesday night. So we hope you can make it. (laughs) <laughs> and just a few days prior to that, you'll be at the Soraya. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that program? Amma, do you want to talk about that program? You please. So the, at the Soraya, we'll be presenting the Fires of Varanasi, Dance of the Eternal Pilgrim. And that is a show that um, Rani and I created for the company. Um, and it is a large-scale show. It has 11 performers. And it's a... It has a, a large set as well that the dancers engage in. Now, the ideas, uh, the themes behind that show is really to use the Indian pilgrimage city, the Hindu pilgrimage city of Varanasi in northeastern India as a symbol for contemplating Hindu thought and philosophy around birth, death, and rebirth. And so this idea of the cycle of life and what are the rituals that we all encounter both in life, in death, and to send our ancestors off to to join uh, with the divine. And there are many myths that are tied in. Now, this idea, the city of Varanasi and these beliefs may seem, may have existed for millennia, but they are actually believed and practiced by Hindus today, not just in India, but in the entire diaspora. And in our conversations, what we find is that each and every one of us has a story of death rituals, has a story of cultures that we carry of birth and death and our beliefs from our families. And so this has become a really kind of, it's an intimate portrait of these really larger themes that we all obviously deal with in our in our lives. Mm-hmm. And so the, the piece itself is, um, is basically has been created as solos within an ensemble. So we have 11 people, but in, in our choreography, Rani and I, we believe very deeply that each person's training, but each person's expressiveness, technique, and individuality must emerge in their performance in the ensemble. And so we never... Um, we never have ensemble choreography. We do a lot of layering. And so you can really see that in this group, you know, it's like society as a whole where you you have, you represent so many different personalities and mm-hmm. people on their individual journeys towards this spiritual transcendence. 
Right. I, I wanted yeah. to hear a little bit about how you, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, but but if you want to speak first and then I, we'll, we can circle back to this question if you want. No, um, I was going to say that you were, this piece was uh, commissioned and I did premiered at the Kennedy Center outside on the large um, water body. That's really like cool. a new location, at, right? Yes, at the reach. Yeah, mm-hmm. In the water and uh, on stage built over the water. It oh, was beautiful. magical. It was magical. So and There was no way of knowing when this all was conceived that COVID would happen. And people sure. really, you know, it's a, it's a conversation that has to be had now mm-hmm. more than ever. You know, mm-hmm. it's very... We also performed it on the 20th anniversary of September 11th. Wow. So it was, there was a lot of significant things happening in that moment. Right. Sure. Yeah. I I wanted to hear a little bit more about how you choose the dancers that will be, you said it's an 11 person piece. Um, How do you find the dancers and what, what sort of qualities are you looking for when you're hiring? Amar, you want to Um, talk about that? Yes. Um, All Except for the three pilgrims and the one dancer who who is from a different city, everyone is trained by us mm-hmm. because we have a very unique style because of our teachers, tra- the, the training we have from our teacher. There is no, she has, there isn't anyone anywhere in the world who does that style uh-huh. except for us. Because she doesn't do, she never did a large dance school. Mm-hmm. And, and usually the Indian students who learn from her finish their, their education and they go off, become doctors and engineers. Sure. We took it and we have like worked on it and made it our own and making our own work so right. that you can see that style very clearly on us. But so we cannot... It's interesting. Everybody loves their own style and nobody wants to change their style. (laughs) So you can't just get a dancer from anywhere and say, okay, I'm going to audition you. You can join us. We don't have that luxury. We train our own dancers. So every single one on stage have been trained by us. Mm -hmm. And yeah, sorry. No, no, you you go ahead. I'm just, it's so fascinating. (laughs) Yeah. the, The one dancer who's from out of town, you know, there are some people who are, I think I was one of those people that could quickly pick up another style and, and try to work on it. You know, we, we copy people. We are very quick to imitate. It's, and so it, it's, it's rare, but we did get one dancer who was able to do that. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah. What, what I wanted to know was, I guess, kind of like how big of a shift it would be between forms of classical Indian dance. Like, in the same way that me, for me as a ballet dancer, like I could, you know, theoretically do like Graham or something or Cunningham, you know, it, you know, to people that are highly trained, it might be offensive to them, but <laughs> I could literally not do tap, you know, right. that would just not be possible. So like it, within those forms of dance, like how big of a language barrier is that? Is it a different dialect or is it a completely different language? I can answer that. It's more of like a different dialect. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so for example, when we're doing technique, so let's say we have a movement, of course, for your view, these are listeners, but um, I can try to explain. So just very basically, we have um, some foundational technical positions. So if we extend our arms to the side in our basic position, that's called Adambasthanam, which is beginning posture of arms. I have them out straight to my side um, and my elbows are up, same line as my shoulders. Now, this is a very particular, specific stance of our teacher. Now, every school has an Adambasthanam. Some of them might be like this. Some of them might be straight. Some of them might be overbent on the elbow. The way that each, mm-hmm. the angle and the degree is going to be different. Similarly, we have a movement that comes over the head like this and has a quick turn and comes from above the head in front of the body. We have a lot of principles around that, exactly when to turn, how close it is to the body, how it's exactly centered um, in, 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 in over your head. Now, there are many schools who may bring it over the shoulder. 
and then turn like this. Now you can see the difference. I'm turning my body from one side to the other side. This arm is now coming over my shoulder rather than over my head. If you see that, you will know in an instant that they are from a different school. Gotcha. Right. Yeah. That yeah. Now for some movements, that might be kind of attractive, might be fine, but others, those hallmarks are very, very important to stay loyal to the school. So if you have a dancer who has, we have dancers in this production who have become our students who've studied in a different style for 20 years. Then they move here and they see us and they'd like to study with us. And they are, they have to literally, they've been learning another style since they were five. And now mm -hmm. they have to put their arm in a different place. Mm -hmm. And then you have right. to flow quickly from one to the other. I mean, as, as you know, it has to become part of their muscle memory. Right. And right. so you're unlearning and relearning. Mm -hmm. And that's just the technique. The way that we do expressive or theatrical pieces is very different. The approach is different. The way people mm -hmm. hold the hands are different. And then the way they emote with their face. What the, the difference of drama versus subtlety is is differently emphasized in different schools. Right. Does that answer your question? Yeah. I love more? it. Yeah. It's I'm thinking yeah. it's it's so similar to ballet. Like Michael and I, I'm sure we were having the same thoughts. Like in some classical ballet, you hold your hand a little more like this. And then in balancing, you hold your hand a little more shaped. Like it's just such a subtle thing. But because you do it throughout choreography, it's hard to unlearn because it's maybe like the hand shape is secondary to what your legs are doing or like, you know, to the other parts of the choreography. So it just, it makes perfect sense to us in that way. Yeah. The, um, I think originally there were uh, different, to begin with years, 100, 200 years ago, there were specific people who started teaching this and it's their name from the village name where they came from, came these styles. But what has happened is four has become eight, eight has become 200, 200 has become 2000, sure. 2000 has become 20,000 styles. But right. that is not, you can't take it seriously. Mm -hmm. Right. There are masters who set the style right. and each of us as, you know, because it's evolved. So you can pick and choose the, the, the great ones who have made these beautiful, um, the technical changes. Our teacher has worked her whole life to make it so aesthetically gorgeous. You know, to, we keep talking about our teacher. So Alarmel Wali Barishnikov Pavarotti was selected as the world's best soloist in the wow. Israel Festival. Yeah, I mean that's been like 10, 12 years well, ago. More, but, more, but yeah. 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 But so, that's the kind of artist we are talking about. Not right, right. someone from the an school. artist that changes the whole industry, yeah. you know. Right, like a, right. So a singular emotional emo, we, in our style, as Aparna said, there is so much emotional involvement. Mm -hmm. And emotion, the expressions are not to just say I am going to the market. It is Deeper, there is so much internal dialogues you create to elaborate things and to make it natural for mm. people to understand. When our teacher dances, you don't need a language. You don't need to know what she's doing. It's there. It'll touch your soul. Sure. That style to learn is not easy. Oh my gosh. This just yeah. brings up so many questions. Like five just came to mind while you were saying that, but I, I wonder while you're talking about, you've, you've touched on it quite a bit, the emotional aspect mm -hmm. telling right. stories. So in ballet, we tell stories and sometimes we don't tell stories and it's kind of something that's neoclassical. That's open to interpretation. You can take as you will, how much of that comes into your style or is it always like a very set specific storyline? No, we have um, we have both. We have same similar to ballet, right. track, rhythmic dances, and we have uh, in more expressive dances. Mm -hmm. For expressive dances, you choose any poetry from any genre, any uh, storytelling um, heavy with uh, longing and mm -hmm. uh, pain or joy or um, love um, and all of these emotions. So a, a good dancer will be able to choose the, the material and then you 
it's 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 very interesting. I have to tell you, when we were working with a deaf artist, she was interpreting each line into many ways that she could express through her gestures. Oh. For us, one line, for example, um, I sada at all times. I, if you just take those four words, our teacher's choreography takes it for five minutes. Right. It just, it, at this time when you build our nature, you you talk about the the longing that you have for for the person that who's probably a, a god that you long to to be with him, and why aren't you know? It's like a whole soulful communication that comes and not many schools do that with such intensity and um, truth truth like Wally says I am truthful when I we ask her how do you do this you know we dance and then we videotape ourselves and we look terrible and she would say well oh, no I'm just true so you you have to be you to arrive at a place when you truthfully, so she would say, watch Judy Dench. <laughs> this movie where this body washes, this young man washed us ashore and she's 70 and she's, he's this young man. She falls in love with him. She just look at the way she looks at him. So, you know, it's not just Indian. It's universal. Right. universal yeah. Right. It into your body. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, this has just been such a, a beautiful interview between the three of you. Um, it was so enlightening and I, I can't wait to see some of the performances. But just to, to round this out, I wanted to know just from each one of you, what you personally are hoping that the audience takes away from a performance? What do you want them to, to leave the theater thinking about or feeling? Uh, Ronnie, you want to start? Um, Aparna, why don't you start? Anya <laughs> <laughs> always says that if she doesn't want to answer a question, she always that's her. She says that's my answer. I'm gonna say, I'm no, gonna no. you go. I'm just <laughs> I just want to answer it. I just I want know. you. To- no, I just you know, um, I think that all artistic traditions, but I think the form um, that we are presenting has so much richness and depth of music and dance and movement and truth and humanity. The dance form itself was created as a way to communicate with the sacred. That was its entire purpose with the dancer being the medium through which the, the community communicated with the sacred. And if you think about that direct communication, it doesn't have to be religious or spiritual, but that is what art does for us. Mm -hmm. And so what I would like audiences to take away is this need to understand every small nuance and open themselves up and allow them to feel and become vulnerable and be moved in that moment. Yeah. I love that. How about you, Ashwini? Yeah, you were talking in ballet about how you have these, it's, I'm just pinging off of what Aparna just said, but you have these um, moments where the interpretation is left up to the audience. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure if you are, if as an audience member, you get people saying, but I want to know what every single leg lift means, you know? Always. So yeah. we just, you know, we're just thinking in the same way, but also when we have a, a performance, every once in a while, someone will come up and say, this reminded me of a childhood moment in Iowa or something, mm. you know? And that's all you can ask for is to connect with someone on a human level and leave an imprint on them. And that's what I hope happens. Yeah. And now I will say mine. Yeah, it's, I think I, it's both, you know, what Aparna said and what Ashuni said. After our performance at uh, in Minneapolis of Fires of Varanasi, there was a person who said, you know, there were three people who had lost their family members recently. And one was from a woman from Rochester, Minnesota, not Indian, and another from, from uh, the Twin Cities. They all felt... The, uh, the there's a there is one scene where ash uh, a white 
powder is dropped from a, it to, su- to suggest ashes being poured. And there were three or four people who, who said, I thought my mother's ashes were taken to this village. Or, you know, my uh, it reminded me of my, so eat my father. So, and they were all from various backgrounds. So the universality of art, where all art has emotion, rhythm, beauty, and to just not come into a show saying, oh, this is Indian. What, you know, I won't understand this, but to just right. let, let it flow over you and take what you can. You can't take in, you can't get anything out of seeing one show, mm-hmm. but it might, it might inspire you to other sh- see other mm-hmm. shows. Right. Yeah. Right. What if you don't I, I, I just that. have to, I have to be a publicist here and say Please. the show at the Soraya is on April 9th <laughs> and <laughs> in Los Angeles. So hopefully the West coast can also experience. Right. Of course. Right. So if you're in the Los Angeles area, go check them out at the Soraya. And if you're in New York, Brishnikov Arts Center, April 13th through the 15th. Um, it, this was so wonderful. Thank thank you guys so much. Thank and we you. hope that all of our listeners that are in those areas will come out to see you. Yes. Thank, thank you, you so much. So and much. look out for more tour dates as they are announced. They're really lovely to talk to you. <laughs> we sure will. Great. <laughs>